0: Watch this, Space, Episode 13, Monkey Business.
1: Welcome to Watch This, Space, where we jump out of the airlock of what is into the vast universe of what could be.
0: I'm Alan Williams. And I'm Paul French. And uh, Alan, why are you dressed like Groucho Marx? The title of the episode's Monkey
1: Business, so I thought we were talking about the Marx Brothers. Wait a minute, why, why are you dressed in that gorilla
0: suit? I thought we were talking about the 1970s version of King Kong.
2: No, you're both wrong. We're doing the original Planet of the Apes.
0: Hey, who are you? Did you forget that we invited Jim to join
1: us? Oh, yeah. I guess I just made a monkey out of myself there. Or an ape. Jim, why don't you introduce yourself to, to the listeners? Tell us it. Tell us your secret origin. Oh, my secret origin.
2: Hey, I'm Jim Purcell, and I guess I'm a, I'm an amateur professional podcaster. <laughs> I, uh, I've done a, quite a few of them in my days. I have a... I have a podcast dedicated to savage dragon that i co-host and i hang out on the legion of substitute podcasters sometimes most of the time uh i'm into comics i'm into movies i'm into science fiction movies which is why i was invited on i suppose i do have a have a quite the enjoyment of the science fiction genre uh i mean i like entertainment i like uh you know
0: having mm-hmm. a good time
2: with stuff.
1: Um, I'm watching Farscape right now. So, you know. Nice. Cool. Yeah, well, um, what was your first exposure to science fiction that you can remember?
2: Okay. My first exposure to science fiction would have been probably cartoons in the late 80s, early 90s, some Transformers, some... uh, I definitely saw some... Oh, you know what? My. Oh, okay. My my first uh, exposure to science fiction was seeing clips of Star Wars while watching Muppet Babies.
1: That that's exhausting. Um, that's <laughs> yeah. Uh, but um, it I, I guess I got it's really. It's really interesting listening to you you tell it, Jim because you're so much younger than than Paul and me. I'm a baby at forty. Yes, <laughs> children. <laughs> this is the only the, the, this is the only time I I'm willing to go with the uh, I'm willing to go against the children should be seen and not heard. There you go
0: we're making sure that we're heard and not seen. That's right. Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. And of course, if you're an animal,
1: you definitely need to be heard and not see. Oh, sorry. Yeah. In your paddock, you go. (laughs) That's right. But you were, but uh, so let's get a little, let's get a little more point on this. So Jim would, Jim, when was the first time you saw planet, uh, this version of Planet of the Apes? We should tell everybody mm-hmm. we're talking the nineteen sixty eight version here. We're, we're oh. the, the, not the Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch version.
2: Oh yeah, with all the with the with the promised ending it gave us with no follow up. That's <laughs> the big exactly. flaw of that movie. Uh, I probably saw Planet of the Apes on uh, reruns on WPIX New York Channel Eleven. Uh, their their weekend movie block. Feels like the kind of movie they would have shown a few times. I definitely see, like most movies that I watched on cable TV as a child, I only saw the last uh, two-thirds of it because I would always come in late. Um, <laughs> so basically, the entire like first act of this movie, every time I watch it, I'm always surprised by how long it takes uh, because I had never seen that part of the movie
1: uh, when I was a child. Sure. Oh, totally. I mean, I was just watching it last night. And I I felt the same way. It's like, wait a minute. I forgot that it takes this long to get into it. Because my right. first time watching it was, um, well, okay, the movie came out the year I was born, but it came out like several months before I was born. So I don't remember it from from seeing it in the theater. Pretty oh, right. sure I didn't. But um, I, I do kind of remember it as a kid because um, they, they showed it. Several times on network television, because at the time, uh, Planet of the Apes was really one of the big franchises that was going on. Mm-hmm. And that, that's something a lot of people don't don't really don't really know about it. Speaking of things that people don't know about it, uh, did you know that this is based on a book? Yeah, I did
2: know that. Okay. Only because what? I knew it previously from trivia.
1: Oh, okay, but I uh, did, yeah, I did not know that. Yeah, it's. Um, Did you know
2: Die Hard was based on a book?
0: Um, a a, a Christmas a book. book, obviously. Yeah,
1: <laughs> wasn't that the sequel to A Christmas Story or something like that? It was a sequel.
2: <laughs> uh, ha, ha. But anyway, more about the monkeys. Yeah. Um.
1: Yeah, um, I was gonna. Um, I was
2: gonna say. Y- you're yeah. right. Planet of the Apes in many ways was the architect of the, of the of the movie franchise blockbuster that Star Wars would later emulate in a much bigger dramatic way.
1: Definitely. I mean, even mm-hmm. though this comes at even though this comes after Star Trek, Star Trek started on television, and it really right. Star Trek as a franchise has really always been more television based. Yeah. But right. um but let, let's well, give I, a little
2: Mm-hmm. I also don't think Star Trek had like the media the the like the the merchandising that Planet of the Apes had until oh, much it later. Had, it had,
1: it had plenty of merchandising. I mean, uh it had the same at the same time that there were Planet of the Apes um figures it that Mego was producing, they were also producing the Star Wars figures. Um there were uh, there, there was no, a rush if you, if you watch um there's an episode you mean Star of, Trek you mean Star Trek figures yeah. that's right
2: because Mego Mego we we did research on this before we started recording Mego the, the Migo dolls although there were previous like Mego lines of toys the mm-hmm. the, the, tapes and the Star Trek ones came out in 74 like yeah. 6 or 7 years after both of those series had already had their
1: time right yeah right it's fascinating yeah the but at the time there there were a few things um there's an episode of I think it was called "The Toys That Made Us." Yes, on mm-hmm. Netflix. I think it is. Am I remembering that right? Yeah, that's yes. correct. Yeah. Okay. There's there's an episode that has that does bring up the Star Trek toys and this because um, because they are sort of because they were sort of in a way precursors to the Star Wars toys And that you know yeah. it was the idea of science fiction merchandising. But well, let's give a little let's give a little background on on the movie before uh yeah. before we continue uh the okay it's ba- the the movie Planet of the Apes is based on a 1963 novel called La Planète des Singes i think that's how it's pronounced anyway in the UK they call it Monkey Planet it's a french novel um by the guy Pierre Boulet who also wrote um the novel that uh, the movie The Bridge on the River Kwai was based on that's neat (laughs) and um that there's a major in the film um for anyone who for anyone who hasn't seen this movie it's 55 years old i and i don't care about spoilers okay and
2: it's one of the the, the most reference endings of all time
1: yes it's hard it's hard to say that you don't have a spoiler there so but the but the movie um the movie is vastly different from the book. The book is, um, the, the book actually takes place in the future. It's not set. Uh, the, the space mission that they leave on is set in the future. They're on. they're literally on another planet that this isn't, you know, some surprise reveal mm-hmm. that they're, they're literally on another planet the entire time. Uh, it's a journalist who records all of this. He's been invited along on this on this mission, um, and at the end of it, they do come. Uh, at the end of it, the journalist does go back to Earth, but he finds that Earth has become just like the planet that they left. Okay. So- yeah, so it's it's like the end of the uh, of the Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch the, the, version, the Tim Burton film, right? The Tim Burton version is actually more faithful to the book in that respect, but oh. there's a prentail around the whole thing, in that it's revealed that uh, that this was all cold as a message in a bottle kind of thing, and the mess, the people reading the message turn out to be intelligent chimpanzees. Who uh, think that the story is completely fictional because the idea of intelligent humans is, mm-hmm. of course, ludicrous. So yes, they made it to ludicrous speed already. Ah, oh, yes, because we ain't Cause, seen shit. That's right. They, <laughs> so, um, and the only other cute, the cute bit of trivia I want to throw in before before we launch in, into a full discussion is that the movie did come out the same day. As 2001: A Space Odyssey. Wow, and that is the day before Martin Luther King was
0: assassinated. Wow, there's some mm-hmm. there's some trivia. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it, it's you know, it's like Jim said. I mean, it, it is definitely the precursor to the, um, the the sort of sci-fi franchise as as we know it today. You know well, it's now wild. It's, it's just a thing.
2: It's wild to me that Planet of the Apes is like five films in a TV show.
0: Yeah. It's I mean, five
1: films and two TV shows. Really? Actually. Yeah, there was there was a live action Planet of the Apes and then they eventually um they also did the um Oh right, there was an animated series, the animated, series Apes, the animated too, right? one. Yeah, the animated one is the only time where they actually cuz like in the novel it's a uh, the society is uh has the same technological level as like the fifties and sixties, uh, in America. Right. But, um, budget, dumb. they had to spend right. so much on the makeup budget that all of the movies subsequently made everything very, uh, very, very, how do I put this primitive? primitive. primitive. Yeah. yeah. That's the yeah. best way, best word <laughs> for it. But, um, But the cartoon in the cartoon Return to the Planet of the Apes, they actually did have them driving Jeeps and stuff. Right. Yeah. Because I remember some, I remember a few scenes from that. I don't remember watching it as a kid, but it was, it came out in like 75 or so. So I would have been like eight
0: years old when it came out. And that I think I might have caught a couple, I might have caught a bit of that. Like that was sort of early days of Saturday morning cartoons for me.
1: Yeah. Um, and I think maybe that's why they put why Mego put out the Planet of the Apes line, because they were tying into in the animated shows because the animated Star Trek was going on at that same time. That's oh, that, that, that makes explains sense. it. Yes. Yeah. And
0: then you had the uh, the because um, you had that that Batman and Superman hour from filmation as well. Right. Yeah, but both, both, Super of, friends,
2: were, of were 73, 74. So that makes perfect sense.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: Super Friends with and Super Friends came out right around that time too. Which, totally. Um, so you had not only all of the old stuff from the 60s, like the Superman Aquaman hour and all that stuff,
0: mm-hmm.
1: still going, they were in syndicated reruns along with the old, um, like Fantastic Four and, and Spider Man cartoons and stuff. So that's why they, they did the thing. world's greatest superheroes. So yeah, that, that's why Mego did the toy line. But um, Planet of the Apes actually was their first one. It was their uh, – I found this at the Mego Museum website. Okay. That Planet of the Apes was Mego's first attempt at making toys based on a movie property. They put They put – and they put in that extra effort to get it right. In February of 1974, they unveiled their Planet of the Apes line at Toy Fair to a very positive response from retailers. That year's offering consisted of five figures based on characters from the original film. Cornelius, Zira, Dr. Zaius, a soldier ape, and an astronaut, along with a treehouse and village playset and a remote-control horse called the Action Stallion. (laughs) So it's pretty good. Yeah, um, this was... Mego, if I remember right, was already doing um, their superhero line. Yeah, but but this this was a big deal, you know, a, a big tie-in deal. And while they were tying it in primarily to the mo- the movies, the cartoon was getting ready to come out too. So it had so all of this was coming out around the same time. Yeah, yeah. The um, the Planet of the Apes. We don't think maybe we don't think of it as such a a big deal now in you know in 2023 but at the time it was huge
2: well I was, always could tell it was important um yeah mm-hmm. as, a, as a as a kid I had a tendency to have be to, to be even as a kid I would like be nostalgic for things that were like obviously like popular before I was born like front mm-hmm. of the Apes like Star Wars like Star Trek like uh back to the future and Indiana Jones and what have you so I would always you, seek those kind of things out and Planet of, Planet of the Apes was definitely one of those tent pole franchises that I always thought was neat.
1: Yeah. You you don't know how much you just made me cry when you said when you mentioned Star Wars as, as being before you were born.
0: Yeah, oh, cuz he was wow. he was born just yes, he's a baby probably just after Jedi came out.
1: <laughs> no, Jedi came out 86 I thought. It was probably
2: no, Jedi no, it came out kid. in 83. Yeah. Oh, 83. So I guess it was just after I was born.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, the planet, like one of the things about, uh, about Planet of the Apes back then too, is when I was a kid, because I was so young, the, the movies had already had, most of the movies had already come out. Yeah. So I got to watch them on, uh, so I watched them on TV they were, they were always a big deal on network TV. And it's really interesting when you consider, when you think about it, that, that only the first movie is based on a book. All the remaining mm-hmm. movies all the remaining movies are from the are literally just, you know, created from scratch. Right.
0: Yeah, I um that that's interesting. You know, the the I, you know, I, I always mentioned the city TV, late, great, uh, late, great and not so great movies, um, that would show sort of all, all the sort of the B stuff, but they never treated this like B stuff. Um, you know, this got Friday nights, not sat, not Sunday afternoons. And, um, and they would often do, um, you know, like, uh, like a labor day marathon of, uh, of all of them. And, uh, and so they were, they were things that I got to see a lot of sort of, it's definitely, um, you know, a bit in, in younger years, um, and that it, that, that, you know, like, like, again, it was the, it was the toys mainly, but it was like that it was able to break into the, um, some, you know, somewhat more cloistered, um, version of, um, of childhood fandom uh you know yeah. and the, it was the cartoon was a big part of that but uh but i can remember like we, you know friends and i watching the um you know the the, the movie marathons on city tv all the time so um, speaking
2: of movie marathons i'll tell you a funny anecdote yeah so usa usa network used to play trilogies all the time yeah uh, star trek uh sorry star wars in particular but also indiana jones uh back to the future and occasionally planet of the apes but it was funny because of the times they ran during a school day, because these are like weekday marathons to fill time, I think. Yeah. I would get home and they'd be like just starting the third movie. So I saw the third movie of all of these trilogies like a half a dozen times each before I ever saw the first two movies. So I watched uh, Escape the Planet of the Apes like six times when I was a kid. Oh, and, man. And I think I saw Planet of the Apes once. And I thought I all ben- beneath once
1: that's really got to throw you off then because because escape is so different from the others it sure is um you know because well because of the time travel elements and stuff in it um you know i i have a tendency when i watch this um when i when i remember back i have a tendency to mix uh this with with um, beneath the Planet of the Apes because I would you I saw those very close to each other. I mean, there were two years in between when yeah. they actually came out, but that's sixty eight and seventy. So obviously, my first memories are going to be after you know after they're on network television, and it's just really funky um, the things that that I remember because when they're in the archaeological dig um, and looking at. At the evidence of what humans begat. I was like, "Wait, where's the subway line?" And it's like, "No, that's in the second movie. That's in Beneath the Planet of the Apes that they really talk about the subway line and all that." And it's like, "Wow, mm-hmm. yeah, um, I could, I
2: could see that because my recollection of uh, Beneath the Planet of the Apes is there's a little bit of overlap, especially in the opening, yeah, uh, between right. two movies,
0: yeah." Well, listen to this, guys. Um, I mentioned how City TV used to play them frequently. It turns out at least twice a year throughout the 1980s, City TV would run Planet of the Apes Week. So they would show two of them a night, including an omnibus, you know, omnibus uh, versions made from the TV series. And uh, so I'm going to see if I can pull a couple of promos for those and, uh, and throw them in at the end here. Cause um, uh, well, and it's just the, the, um, the, the announcer on, on uh, city TV is, is, is a, certainly a legend around here. Uh, He had this very distinctive voice and I remember meeting him um, in the early 2000s um he 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 was uh semi-regular at a at a bar I used to work at and uh, he came in and he ordered his beer and it's like, oh my God, you're him And uh, uh-huh. <laughs> he just had one of those voices. And so um yeah um but Planet of the Apes week, so my friends and I, like this was you know we were we were so on board for that. And um, and so yeah, I've got oh, I've, there we go. I found some promos from uh, Planet of the Apes week in January of nineteen eighty seven. Ah, it's a beautiful thing. Oh uh, yeah, they, they were big on doing these uh, these themed weeks, but the uh, the one that really stuck was that, that Planet of the Apes week and uh they were just kind of a we're not going to be like other tv stations kind of thing and um now oh, yeah, they're I, now they're very much like other tv stations but <laughs> i remember that so
1: i i still remember pieces of even um conquest of the planet of the apes and battle battle for the planet of the apes and i i haven't seen those in ages yeah
2: those ones definitely get the least play cuz i i've never seen conquest although i do really want to watch it um, because I think that the the plot of it sounds really interesting. Just, sure, yeah, because it brings it, everything full circle. Whereas I've always heard that Battle of the Planet Apes was low budget and kind of crap.
1: Well, Battle was um, I, I Battle was the last one, and and it is crap, but it, it is kind of crappy. But at the same time, interestingly enough, um, this whole the the whole. Cycle of movies actually creates a time paradox and changes the past. Well, sort of, yeah. Um, Because if you if you watch it, it's um, by the end of Battle for the Planet of the Apes, instead of humans being treated like, well, treated like apes were, you know, or or worse, they uh, they're they're on an equal footing with the apes at the end of it. Yeah. So because the, the whole, the whole thing about Caesar is that it changes time. Their, their time travel literally changes history technically sort of for the better. uh, If the better is more cooperation between the two, between the two species. So, well,
0: if that isn't a cold war uh, era, uh, storyline, uh-huh. I don't know what is, right? Oh, totally. I mean, that,
1: when you look at, at a lot of the, the shit in this thing, I mean, it is so, it is so Cold War, um, Cold War allegory. But at the same time, oddly enough, you know, that if you look at the original book, the original book really didn't seem that very Cold War-ish. Because it's all set in the far future and it's all, it's a, it, it, because it's so different. So it's, it's, um, it's kind of like any movie that you see where they take extreme liberties with the book, you know, where they say it's based on a book, but then you look, you read the book and, um, let's see, The Witches of Eastwick and Practical Magic are a couple of mm. examples that I can think of where, um, the book is drastically different from the movie and, a lot of times, the movies the the movie turns out significantly better as a result because it's a because they're they're making it fit a little more. Interesting thing about this movie came out in nineteen sixty eight, but at the very beginning of the movie, what do, what does their Earth clock say? Nineteen seventy two. Oh, the far future. Yes, they they had this assumption. That by 1972, we'd be launching a deep space mission going near the speed of light. I mean, that hey, we're, we're gonna
2: be on that moon here in like two years, so you know, that's right.
1: possible. That's right. That time, di- <laughs> well, and the, the time dilation uh, in the whole thing. The only matter of fact, the only movie that that's that even remotely close to present day when they do it is. Um, It's Escape from Planet of the Apes. I believe that came out in 73, maybe. No, no, actually, I think that came out in 71. But they returned to 1973. Right. That's right. Because because time loop. Because what they did is they, they managed to take the ship that thinks at the beginning of this movie and fix it to be able to go to escape Earth as it's blowing up from during beneath the planet of the apes and the shockwaves back in time.
0: And there are aspects of that that remind me a bit of um, Days of Future Past in uh, Mm -hmm. in, in X-Men. I I, I think that was very uh, very influential on it. Now, how did this get made into a movie? Well, it's a
1: it's, I'm looking at it. I was looking at a couple of things about it and yeah. um, one thing is it caught the eye of believe it or not uh, Blake Edwards the guy who directed the Pink Panther movies Really? <laughs> yeah it caught the eye of Blake Edwards and, and Edwards was like hmm I see some possibility in this and can you imagine he actually brought on of all people Rod Sterling Yes, that Rod Serling,
0: uh, yes. Twilight
1: Zone and Night Gallery, Rod Serling, who went through like he said, well over a year and thirty or forty drafts. Wow! But um, but in the end, he he didn't really make it. Com- uh, didn't really flesh it out. It, like, he set up some of the structure, right. but then uh, a guy named Michael G. Wilson ended up producing the final screenplay, and there are things right. about it that are even that are um that that were improvised on set like that when when they're doing the the hear no evil see no evil the (laughs) the see no evil hear no evil speak no evil during the trial that was improvised on set and they decided to leave it in because they said that the the, because they felt like it was getting a little bit too intense and they needed to lighten it just a little bit
0: at that point um It, it's interesting that you bring up um, Rod Sterling's involvement because, to me, the twist at the end does very much resemble something out of a uh, out of a um, Twilight Zone, out of a Twilight and, and Zone I, episode. And, I, be- and yeah. I believe
2: that twist is like Sterling's biggest contribution that survived to the end of the final product.
1: Wow! Yeah, um, there there were like three alternate endings. I think that they they had uh, thought up, and this was this was one of them, and I believe. This was the one Serling liked the best, and it was also the one that uh, Heston liked the best as well. Yeah. Here's a here's a funny thing for you if you think about it. Um, there's all this talk of the lawgiver. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. As, as there, well, Charlton Heston played Moses, who ah. oh, brought down author. the Ten Commandments. Who was in you know in Judeo Christian tradition the lawgiver? <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> Um, and, and apparently they, they had to really fight with the censors um, for that line at the end, the God damn you all to hell. Yes. That Paston himself went and made the argument, this is not taking the Lord's name in vain. This is that literally he is begging God to damn them all to hell. <laughs> he means oh my- it Literally. <laughs> yes. Yes. Ah, uh, back. Well, this is the this is one of only two G uh, G-rated movies with uh, with prof- that kind of profanity and nudity in it. There's some nudity in this. Yeah. So. There is some nudity yes. in this movie. There's nudity, mm-hmm. nudity pics in this.
0: <gasps> and and yet, that uh had no effect on me growing up. Well, they well, there you go. Um you you mentioned the courtroom scene um, uh-huh. And of course There is the connection from that To the Scopes Monkey Trial Oh yes um, uh, Would which- you
1: know what the Scopes Monkey Trial is? Uh, from context I think I can guess It's um, Yeah it, it- it was a famous trial from the 1920s. I think it was like 1925 if I remember right, something like that. Um, yeah. yeah, it was the state of Tennessee versus a guy named John Taylor Scopes or something like that. Anyway, John Scopes. Scopes was a high school English uh, a high school science teacher and he was uh, by teaching evolution he broke Tennessee law which said that you could not teach evolution
0: good god we're 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 not well there's some parts of your country that is not far from oh yeah that. yeah um, oh, but yes yeah. it was 25 yeah, and, that, and this yeah, was of it, course the famous clarence darrow
1: yes this, this is where uh clarence darrow went up against oh i can't
0: remember william was, jennings but, bryan that's it <clears throat> who was uh who was the uh, the Democratic Party's presidential nominee in, 19- in 1896, 1900, and 1908, because it seems that they just couldn't get over being defeated. <laughs> yeah, he, he, could,
1: he couldn't get past it. Um, and I believe it was right after this that Brian died, literally went to sleep right a- uh, yeah. after the trial and never woke up.
0: <laughs> it was, um, yeah, yeah. Um, it was a, 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 a resounding defeat. And if anyone has seen the, the play and the movie, uh, inherit the wind that is based on this. Yeah. Um, and the, the, oh, yeah. So yeah, it ahead. took like eight
1: minutes for them, for them to deliver for the jury to deliberate, but then the judge gave him the minimum possible fine for doing it. That's right. And, and even though, so even though, uh, Daryl, uh, even though Brian won, it made the
0: it, it well. It made mm-hmm. a monkey out of the argument. Yes, it was a pyrrhic victory at best. Yeah. Um. And 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 so it's again. That seems like drawing a parallel to that. That seems like a Sterling kind of thing too.
1: Oh, absolutely. I yeah. mean one of, um one of my favorite twilight zone episodes is the one where the woman has the uh where where the woman it turned is like hideous you know supposedly to everybody else and it turns out that that she's beautiful by our by our yes. standards and everybody yes. else has like those funky pig noses or whatever that's right yes yeah their their faces their their noses and and mouths are kind of like a a mashup between a between a pig and a and a french bulldog or something you know the the whacked in the face with a frying pan look yeah um yeah it's so that that twist ending that i mean we we've talked about twist endings before all the way back to the cabinet sure. of dr Caligari yeah but um but this one apparently there were some complaints in the, when the blu-ray edition one of the blu-ray editions that came out had that that famous picture of the you know the buried statue of liberty yeah and it's like uh people this is this is not a this is this was oh, so yeah i did ago. i did
2: notice that on my dvd on my blu-ray copy when i played it there's like animated like uh um menus and uh-huh. very clearly show you the Statue of Liberty as part of the animated menus. But that, I mean, I, I did, I did note that, even
1: though at you yeah. know, yes, obviously, I know about it. That that that's like that's like Citizen Kane. Still, and, though, you know, it, and, the, and the rosebud was his sled spoiler. I mean, yeah, me I break. mean,
2: yes and no. I mean, I would say that. You have to when you make something like that. Even it's hard to say; it can go both ways. But I would say you should always caution to like spoilers, especially yeah. end of movie spoilers.
0: Yeah, I I, I can remember yeah. when when uh, when Jam was going to show the kids uh, Star Wars. Um, right. that, uh, she wanted to go in chronological order. No. And I said, and I said, no, do not don't, don't, don't do no. that. Cause no. you ruin the, um, the Darth Vader reveal. <laughs> I, and I mean, you know, remembering how that impacted me in, when I was, uh, like, you know, 11 years old or 10 years old at the theater. And it was like, oh, what? And, uh, and I was yeah. like, we do not spoil that for them and uh, because they need to experience that, and um did Jan show them the the
1: theatrical version uh Empire Strikes Back because if you're not careful the the last version that came out um George Lucas hadn't finished tampering with the movie, uh so he took out the he totally changed up the, the scene where vader is communicate is communicating with the emperor that gigantic hologram of the emperor right yeah and he actually rewrote the dialogue even so that you know so that it's revealed right then and there yes that is done
0: i'm gonna have to go check that that on i'm
2: gonna have to go check that on disney because i have not heard about
1: that
0: yeah i didn't realize i I don't know what which version disney has yeah um, these would have these would have definitely been special editions um, but they Disney were like def-
1: Disney. Definitely has the latest
2: special edition version. Yeah, like
0: these would have been the ones that I'm talking about. Would have been the ones uh, right that came out right around uh, the uh, the prequels ending in in the theaters. Oh, um, oh damn! So I don't know. Uh, but they were honestly, they were like nine and six. I don't think okay. they caught it. <laughs> yeah. No, I. Re- but
1: yeah, the the and the reveal in this, if I remember right, there was even a movie poster or some kind of an ad that I saw somewhere. Um, maybe it was in, in the maybe it was like in TV Guide or something, where they, they take that classic last picture of the of the Statue of Liberty Yeah buried, which can't even, which isn't even accurate now. Since they redid the Statue of Liberty's torch, um, right,
0: right, like, right, yeah, right, well, I, yeah. And, and I, and you know, I, I feel the same way about the uh, Legion of Superheroes Great Darkness Saga trade paperback having a picture right. of Darkseid on the cover. I mean, right. when, yeah. you know, because when that came out, we had no idea, and it wasn't revealed until that penultimate issue, and um, yeah, and I mean, I barely knew who Darkseid was. And I was still blown away by it. And,
1: um, yeah, I remember that too, because I had seen that the only other thing I'd seen of dark side was that, um, was in adventure comics when they finished off the return of the new gods.
0: Um, right. Which was the, yeah. uh, the, the Jerry Conway, Don Newton, uh, right. uh that came, right. yeah, And it was,
1: uh, I think, yeah, I think cause didn't, Great Darkness Saga come out. Did it come out before or after the JLA JSA team up that that had the that had them with the new gods? With the new gods.
0: Oh, definitely after. It okay. was a, it was after the the so, one so, uh, with uh, Mister Terrific. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah.
1: So so we knew about so like I knew who Darkseid was, but yeah, that some of the stuff in in these, yes. um, you know, some of the things that can, that you see in it, like I could have sworn that Nova in yeah. this one talked, but it's she oh, doesn't. No. It's not until beneath she the says one, of the one
2: word in beneath that was like the whole yeah. reveal with her.
1: That right. was the whole reveal with her.
0: That is, oh. that is like
2: the one the one major thing I remember about, about beneath the Planet of the Apes is that that very last moment she speaks.
0: Yes, yes, yes.
1: Uh, speaking of beneath. There's a um, there's a Batman villain in Beneath the Planet of the Apes too, one of the three mutants. Yeah, uh, the big the big heavy set one is uh, Victor Buono who played King Tut. King Tut, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Isn't that neat?
2: <laughs> but so, yeah, so did, I I don't know about you guys. Did you guys recently watch Planet of the Apes uh, in preparation for this? Yes. Yeah, I just watched it last night. Okay. So I have two questions that I'm going yeah. to. Two questions that came to me at the end of that movie. One, what the hell happened to the moon? And two,
1: where do you get that shaving cream? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the first one, the first one I can say. We never find out. The because only that thing was, I, that I was the you,
2: one thing is that at the beginning of the movie, when they're walking, they mentioned there is no moon. And that's why yeah. they figure they're not on Earth, because there's no moon.
1: Yeah. And wouldn't that have some effect on the tides? You'd think.
0: You'd think. Um, the shaving cream? I can't imagine the apes did much Um They were shaving. pretty
2: horrified when he cleaned his face up, so I doubt right? they did much Yeah. yeah. And, and, hair-wise.
0: And, and one, would, one would assume that the... Uh, the cans would have depressurized themselves by that point. Yeah. So, was we, sure somebody. that he sprayed, he, he did spray it out of a, out of a can, didn't he? I, did, I didn't
2: see the can. I just saw the white no. foam in his hand. Yeah. I didn't, I
0: don't yeah, yeah. So, he had the foam the in his either. hand because I was going to say otherwise it could, you know, if it was just on his face, then you could assume that it was like, you know, good old uh, soap and, uh, um, although I, again, the apes, I don't know the Yeah. We're too much there into. A, there was
1: nothing that indicated that the apes did any kind of bathing. Yeah, um, yeah, Groovy
0: didn't seem to be their thing.
1: But uh, the no. moon
2: thing just kind of stood out to me because they they really emphasize that that's the clue that this isn't Earth, and then obviously it is. So yeah. it, it does beg the question: what the heck happened to the moon?
1: Right, um, especially especially There's, when you consider, like, okay, in the. What year was it? 2000, I think, version of the time machine, the one that was directed by Simon Wells, by H.E. Okay. Wells' grandson. Um, they have a big deal about the moon and the moon being actually fractured in that. So the only thing I can think of is that this is this is why Space 1999 worked the way it did. Right. Because I mean, it, I mean, Space I suppose... 1999, the moon is thrown out of Earth's orbit. So. Right. Right.
2: And and I suppose it could the implication could be the moon was destroyed in the nuclear war. Right. But, you but, know, we know why? that's not very that's not possible, but yeah. in the movie in nineteen, you know, the 19, late nineteen sixties, that might be something that would be, you know, in the realm of possibility.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: The, yeah, that's um, yeah, and another thing that that uh, seemed awfully convenient for to me was that uh, the only Female member of the ex, uh, of the expedition never has a speaking line, no. And they, they conveniently, do call, they, dies? they do,
2: yeah, and they do call her like "quote unquote" their Eve. So maybe the plan was to use her to repopulate, and it just she dies, so
1: that didn't work out, or something, um, or something. But this and this actually was interesting because it um, because one of the astronauts was black, and they didn't have a black astronaut. Actually, until like nineteen seventy five or something, right? Well, it's the few, far off uh, future of nineteen seventy two. Yes, 94. yes, nineteen seventy two. The the much you know, the the more progressive seventies. The more progressive, the more progressive. Just four years later, yes. yes
0: um, you um, just wait until until twenty twenty seven. That's right. Those words.
1: Hey. Didn't don't you remember that pandemic in in uh, 1983 that just they killed all the cats and dogs too, <laughs> which is from that was mentioned in Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. That's right. Yeah, and now something I didn't know until I started looking this up is that um, like that Rise of the Planet of the Apes is a total reboot. Oh yeah,
2: you didn't know I that. Did. Yeah, I, did. know I know that. didn't know that. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a from scratch reboot. Uh, the the, the main difference is it's, it's starting in present day and working its way to the future of Planet of the Apes. Right. Instead of doing the whole time loop thing. Uh, funny right. enough, I only saw Rise for the first time two or three years ago, and what I found interesting was they actually set up an, an astronaut accident as like a, as like a throwaway news bulletin. Okay. To like to like kind of tie it in like possibility of it coming back in the future um, okay it's really it's really like not focused on at all but it's just there interesting So, i don't know if their eventual goal is to actually make planet of the apes
1: uh, i don't know i know i know, the, I know next- the
2: latest one is the latest one is not called planet of the apes
1: no the latest one um the next one that's coming out comes out uh in may i think i saw somewhere it its current release date is is scheduled for may i don't know if that i don't know if that was affected by the the uh writers and actors guild strikes or not probably
2: yeah uh, probably but that was that was called kingdom of the planet of the apes and you can clearly tell mm-hmm. that 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 the conditions of earth are getting closer to planet of the apes uh
1: conditions interesting i mean you have to watch this sometime then
2: that rise was good um i mean it wasn't Everyone talks about them in like they're great movies, and I maybe they get even better. I hear Dawn's really good, but I've only seen Rise, and Rise was fine, wasn't terrible and it wasn't incredible. Uh, but I will say it's worth watching. Okay, Uh,
1: that's pretty good. I should,
2: I should, I should watch Dawn here, uh, because it goes, and that's the the other thing about the series is the names are kind of unintuitive. It goes Rise, Dawn, War, Kingdom.
1: Yeah, that
0: doesn't make sense, although to be fair. Beneath Escape,
2: Conquest, and Battle aren't any better.
0: Yeah, I no, but I think no, if no. I were to place those in order, it would be Dawn, Rise, right. Kingdom, exactly. and right. War. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You you would think they'd learn from their uh from their mistakes. Right? Yeah, you should never have <laughs> Rise, you,
2: ne- you should never use Rise and Dawn as as
1: as your titles in the same series. Right. <clears throat> oh God, yeah. Oh, totally. That's so oh, true. Something I am thinking about uh, while I am thinking about it, the the music in this is so funky. Um, the I think it was I yeah, IMDb said it was the first completely <laughs> atonal score in a Hollywood movie, and I, it, and it didn't surprise me when I found out that Jerry Goldsmith did the score.
0: I was just gonna say, and that's uh, of course he's a familiar name. Oh yeah, Goldsmith, um, Goldsmith, all the work he did in Star Trek. Yeah,
1: and he's. Um, and just like okay in in this one he did he used a rams horn, which is not a normal normal instrument to use in a when you're doing a symphonic score, and uh just like later on when he did Viger in Star trek yes, motion picture, he used that uh blaster beam it, it was called uh it was a it was an instrument designed by a new age musician named Craig Huxley, who also had a Star Trek connection because he's the one who played young Peter Kirk in um, Operation. What, what was it? Operation Annihilate, I think it was. Really? Yeah the one the one with um, the one with the flying pancakes and uh, Kirk's yes and and, and uh, yeah and, and we find out that Kirk's brother had a was an identical twin except he had a mustache or. Suppose you know, Jim. You know that one, right? Uh, uh s- sorry, no. What what was it? Operation Annihilate the Star Trek episode. Um, no, I the, I, I, the, the I've only actually... time the only time okay. we see George Kirk in opera. Uh, the only in time Star we ever Trek. see him in Star Trek. Well, TV. before Star Trek: uh, Strange New World, because he's actually a character on Strange New World. Oh, okay. But, but um
2: Oh right, you're talking about the brother, George. Yeah, yeah, Jim Not Kirk's the father. brother.
1: father. Right. right. Yeah. Jim Kirk's brother is uh George Kirk is um Shatner with they just put a mustache on him. Cuz ah, the only thing explains you, the
2: mustache in Strange New Worlds then.
1: Right. The only time you see the the only time we see um Kirk's brother is when he's dead in Operation Annihilate and then his his son Jim Kirk's nephew, Peter, is in uh, is in that episode. He went on to become a new age musician, uh, and designed the blaster beam instrument that Jerry that Jerry Goldsmith used in Star Trek: The Motion Picture for V'ger. Uh. oh, yeah, that's the weird sort of you know <laughs> comes all the way around. So there's there's a Star Trek connection even in Planet of the Apes in that the music was done by jerry Goldsmith. oh yeah but um yeah (laughs) that there's so much going on with that that cold with the cold war thing but there's also that that whole idea of covering up knowledge Mm. because remember zayas has them destroy the um it has them basically blow up the the entrance to the dig
2: well that's kind of like just to get into like some of the movies like themes yeah. and stuff it very yeah it is it is surprising that, that it's such a subversive movie that takes a lot of shots at 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 the the rewriting of history to maintain both religion and uh governmental yeah. power um which it really, again
0: we tying into the scopes monkey trials again you know it, it's all part so. and parcel right and it's y- y- yeah that's a good point jim i um also is it me or is taylor
2: kind of a shit ass
0: oh he is yeah he's
1: kind of a kind of a jerk (laughs) oh totally i mean this it's interesting because this this is obviously what got heston uh in the running for for you know doing Soylent green and uh and the omega man but his, his whole attitude that that he he's laughs. He
2: laughs at he laughs at all his colleagues for all their pie high, high dreams and like being being like an uh-huh. American what have you. And then he's like, "I'm out here because I don't want to be around people anymore." Like he wants to get as far away from people as possible. And he gets his he gets his quote unquote monkey paw wish.
1: Uh huh. Oh, I never thought about that. The, the the monkey the the idea that it's a monkey paw wish in a way. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and he gets his wish, and what's he do? He wants, he wants to take, them. it's like, be care- it's almost a be careful what you wish for kind of thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's just, Taylor doesn't make sense as a character yeah. when you think about it. Um, right. because if he's out there to explore new, you know, the, to literally explore strange new worlds. And seek out new life and new civilizations. Well, they're out. They're out there to test their faster than light or their light yeah. speed drive, right? Isn't yeah, that that's like all the, the primary part of their mission? Yeah, and and in theoretically, at least, what they're supposed, uh, what they're supposed to be doing, and it's not clear. It's not very clearly done in the movie, I don't think. Is that okay? They're out there, and we know from what he's saying at the beginning is that they're supposed to come back and it's only supposed to be 700 years have gone by. Right. But they already knew that, Be you know, they, they they knew because of time dilation only this month should have gone by. And what happens, they crash. And he's like, when they crash, he's like, why do we have facial hair? Because obviously you've been gone. You were out longer than planned, and only miraculously only one suspended animation capital fucked up. And conveniently, it's the only female. See, because everybody else, it, if you think about it this way, only the um, if it had been the if the woman had been there, she she wouldn't have looked any different. There was would have been no way to show that. that oh, even I hadn't more thought about that. Because, You're right. Yeah, because of their the facial hair thing. So yeah, it it's like what it's a weird sort of what if you know what if happened. What if we what if we came upon a civilization that had this it, it's almost the Yangs and the Combs from um uh from that one Star Trek episode with Captain Tracy of the Exeter. I can't think of the name of it, but the, the whole idea that oh look, you know, we've we've got these these factions and apparently even it it's the uh the actors self-segregated during this. You know, you you see that there there is clearly there's that nod to Animal Farm where he says some some uh, apes are more equal than others. Right. Yeah. Um, there's a there's that nod there, but then you, you even see it, and the the actors unintentionally, you know, they subconsciously self-segregated into orangutans, chimpanzees, and gorillas. Mm-hmm. So. You know the the idea of that social stratification, uh, it, it it's it's weird because it it actually makes me think of something that they that um I think it was Jeff Johns was doing with uh, some of the stuff in Superman about Krypton having a caste system of right. sorts, um, and that's different <laughs> yeah it was kind of to explain why the the different types of clothing even.
0: Oh, and the, the guilds because they, they had, had like the, the, yeah. the science guild and the right, yeah. yeah,
1: and that's a and that's a this kind of thing is like this whole. It, it's a, it, it's like it's a theocracy technically. Yes, but it's a theocracy that's that's trying that's pretending to be a technocracy because right. they're pretending that the scientific you know the the, the greater scientific knowledge is what is it, that It's like no, not really. You know, when you look at it, um, Cornelius is effectively Galileo to, to Dr. Zaius being the church.
2: Yes. Right. Huh. But also because ultimately you find out Zaius knows the actual history
1: and he is right.
2: desperate to keep it hidden. Yeah. Uh, first and foremost.
1: Yeah. And it's not clear why. I mean unless he's thinking that well if they know the if they know the history they'll they will repeat it they'll do it over you know they'll do exactly what the humans did and make a complete mess of things um, well i think yeah.
2: it, it it messes up their uh, their religion that, that believes too. that apes came first so if you say humans definitely came first uh, then they're not i mean then then whatever power is derived from the power of their church is right. undermined and yeah. that's primary. And basically he is, if I remember correctly, he is both the head of science and the head of religion. I believe uh, yeah, yeah Yeah. And so he's got a he's got a, he knows they have to get technologically more advanced uh, just just because. Yeah. Uh, right. But they also need to maintain whatever religious views they have also to you know keep people under control. and That's sort of why yeah. he does all the things that he does.
0: Yes.
1: And it, it kind of even uh, goes back to. Um, one of my one of my favorite bits, um, one of my favorite novels that I've never actually read, but but listened to the adaptation of a billion times, "A Canticle for Leibowitz" by Walter M. Miller, right? Um, and "A Canticle for Leibowitz" is that same kind of idea of a nuclear war. I mean, it literally starts in the ashes of a nuclear war. Effectively, um, starts what a few thousand years after a nuclear war and Um, the church is the church hold all the knowledge. They had to hide all of the, all of the proper tech that they had. Uh, They had to hide all the scientific tech because uh, humanity basically said, we don't want any more of this. And so they were, and basically by the end of the book, it, it is the whole thing that they, that they, they were doomed to repeat it. Yes. And, and it makes me wonder, you know, if maybe there's a little bit of that, that inspired, um, Serling and, um, and whatever, Michael, whatever his name was, um, to, when they wrote it, uh, Michael, Michael G G. Wilson. Wilson, Yeah. Yeah. It it makes me wonder if certainly if that kind of, influence if that book may have subconsciously influence Sterling and Wilson's way that they wrote Planet of the Apes and maybe subsequent writers as well because what happens beneath you know and beneath the Planet of the Apes it's the same kind of thing that happens at the end of A Canticle for Leibowitz, where they do it all it, where they've effectively done it all over again they blew it up all over again only this time it's worse you know this time there's no coming back from it um, same kind of thing. Uh, it, it it's a, it, it's a very classic trope in science fiction. We've talked about it before on the, on the subs podcast, when talking about uh foundation, uh, about the foundation trilogy, uh, right. of uh, Isaac Asimov did. So, you know, the idea of knowledge, the idea that, that people, and we're seeing it now, I mean, geez, Early two thousands, that whole thing where they were that they were pushing the whole intelligent design. Yes, because because heaven forbid that you know you actually teach evolution, and it, it of course ignores it ignores Darwin entirely, and uh, in that Darwin actually presented evolution as the means by which he thought God created life. Right. You know that that was supposed to explain what God did, um, so there shouldn't even be that religious fight. But no, it, it's like, uh, and, and you, you so you see it today, and you even see, you you can even kind of see the like Republican, you know, like like you've got the alt right, you've got. The alt left. You've got the centrists. You've got all these different factions, and to some extent, some of them view each other as kind of that. There, there are a whole societal groups that view the rest of society as effectively pets to do their do their bidding. Mm. Yeah, I mean it's you know it's, so the message is still there, and I think thematically, the, yeah, the idea of uh, withholding knowledge to protect your power, and the idea of we're going to be doomed to repeat history because people keep hi- wiping out the history. Um, look at the scene where he says, "Where where he's writing in the dirt, and then Nova tri- Nova starts starts um, mess, you know, cover, starts erasing it." Yeah, it, you, you gotta wonder: Is does Nova know enough to know that if you sh- if they see that 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 Taylor will be in more trouble?
2: Right. Well, see, see, I wish that was the case because that's one of my big complaints about this movie. Right. Is that Nova doesn't do anything? Yeah. Well, she's just there, and that's really kind of obnoxious.
1: Well, um, you you know what Nova is there for? Oh,
2: I know what Nova is there
1: for. She was sleeping with the producer.
2: Oh, is that, Linda is that Harrison,
1: true? Linda Harrison was having an affair with the producer. They, oh. after, um, yeah, eventually oh. they both divorced their spouses and got married together and worked together for nine years.
2: Okay. I didn't realize that aspect. That explains a few other things. Yeah,
1: it does, doesn't
0: it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, it's um,
2: unfortunate, too, but it would have been because you do get those two moments, like you point out the one where she starts covering up the writing, yeah, but also mm-hmm. where she's like looking longfully at you know, at the forest that she was, you know, initially found in. Yeah. There could have been something there where Nova is aware of some kind of intelligent human, intelligent human society. And then right. she's part of it and she's trying to keep it under wraps. There's, you know, that, that's a hook that the movie chooses not to,
1: to, to, to go into. And they could have potentially followed that up within beneath the planet of the apes. Um, it could have been, Revealed that Nova knew about the the underground race of mutants the whole time. Possibly um, anything like that.
2: Yeah, they, yeah. I definitely for memory she definitely does not.
1: No, uh, I I do. The only thing since I've never read the the book it's based on. I do know Nova is actually in the book, and she is. Yes. She and the Taylor character have a child together, who apparently can walk and talk um, at three months old. So that's a this fast development. Makes, child that there. makes sense. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um but yeah, it's um so apparently Nova had a little bit more of a function in the in the book. But right. the movie Yeah, she Nova's kind of a
0: nothing character. But but I think I think the purpose there at, at times is like in that scene where she's erasing everything, is to basically be the people who do nothing and just allow it to happen, right? Um mm-hmm. So we we kind of set up the sort of various positions in uh, in society: those who uh, who wish to cover up the truth because it is in their best interest to; those who fight against that and want that truth revealed; and those who do nothing and let it happen.
1: Okay. And to, yeah, and to some extent, I'd even say that there there's a. Um... the the people who willfully, uh, who play willfully ignorant Um, in the, in the case of, in the case even of the apes, because how is it that nobody notices um, the fact that when you look at all of the humans on the planet, there don't seem, there doesn't seem to be any variance, uh, any variation in Racial characteristics, or even, I mean, even um, like Taylor and the other guy are the only two blods, and the one black guy is the only black guy that we ever see. Yeah. So it's like, okay, so if you're trying, you know, is that a statement of, you know, that by the future, by that point in the future, everybody looks, you know, all human beings just kind of got, Got to the point where they all kind of looked the same because we because all of the genetic markers for racial diversity disappeared. Uh, I know that in there are a couple. There's at least one Piers Anthony story I've read. It, them, it may have more to like do that. with
0: the fact that Hollywood is pretty racist then. So. Oh yeah,
1: well that, <laughs> <There's> that. <laughs> that's that. But probably the whole thing.
0: But it, but it does beg the question
1: then: Why yeah. didn't they notice? You know, the different hair color, the different. Look, why, well, why is it that the, they do the one, straight, the they, one black do, guy was, was taxidermied? They do
2: straight up say all apes see all humans as the same.
1: Yeah. And that's yeah. part of
2: their escape uh, Escape ploy, is that nobody's going to know what Tyler looked, Taylor looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, True. I think you can also explain the lack of biodiversity as because, remember, the maps we see, there's only so many habitable areas in a very small area. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yeah. So
0: yeah. it's not yeah.
2: like we're seeing the entire world. We're just seeing a very tiny corner of it.
1: Yeah, we're, we're just seeing like New York and New Jersey, basically. Right. Um, and maybe a little bit of Connecticut. Oh, there you go, Jim. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, there it, we you go. You could be in this. You, you yes. survived, Jim. <laughs> I'm, I'm in the forbidden zone. That's right. And this is, that's right. And I, I'm way the hell out uh, out here in the Midwest where we ain't got where nothing survived. Another
2: observation I just want to throw out there is that yeah. I find yeah. during this period of the '60s there was a particular sort of movie that was fairly popular, and you see it not only in Planet of the Apes but also a little bit in in um um 2001: A Space Odyssey, and that's like Primitive Earth remember one million years bc came out two years before this movie and what what does that movie feature prominently in all of its advertising a cavewoman in leather uh bikini much like nova and you gotta wonder if maybe nova's there to be part of that trend uh is the is the primitive world aspect a a trend that is being chased at this point in hollywood I feel like it's not just one million years BC. I feel like that there were several caveman based movies. The
0: yeah, time. You, and I mean you even look at um and sort of sci-fi movies at the time like uh like a barbarella and uh right you know those right. sorts of things. Um that but there uh,
1: were there were certain barbarian elements
0: too. Bar- a lot yes. of that. Bar- barbarian sex kitten. I mean, this is really yeah it's like um,
1: um oh yeah, Barbarella was sixty eight, same yeah, year, dang. Yep and uh andre norton um starman's son also known as daybreak 2250 ad came out around that time and it's another the the post-apocalyptic genre yeah. was uh, it it was definitely there it was more in the literature than in the movies before right. that but it was starting to catch on in the movies yeah, n- 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 that, nuclear
2: like, war was starting to become a thing in everyone's mind at this
1: point. Right. Since yeah, the, since that Cuba, stage, that, especially that since, since the, the Cold Q- War. Especially yeah. since the
2: Cuban Missile Crisis
1: wasn't that yes. long ago. Yes. Yeah, I I think because and that that's why we're that's why we're seeing like the influence. A canticle from Leibowitz was like um if I remember right, like mid to late fifties. And so it's you know, it, it's a little bit different. It's sort of a proto post apocalyptic in a way, because because there's more about the survivors of it. It's more things to come, like where things to come, what's about survivors who, you know, slid back into barbar into a more barbarous, more uh, primitive time and then come, you know, and then come out of it. Same kind of thing with, um, with the chemical for Leibowitz, but, but it's a little bit more into that, you know, feeds a little more into that idea of what eventually planet of the apes is or, or um, Barbarella, to some extent. Well, not really Barbarella. Yeah. Barbarella is just weird space fantasy, but oh, well, um,
0: it, it is. But I mean, it's still it, it taps it taps into that 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 theme. Like I say, primitive uh, yeah. primitive sex kitten, like that. You I know,
2: see, I suppose it kind of all goes back to H.E. Uh, Wills' Time Machine with the oh, with the Morlocks in the, in the e- Eloi.
0: Yeah, sort of yeah. Deal. The, in the,
2: yeah. In the far it, future, it, man has digressed.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. Um, and we'll continue to digress. <laughs> yeah, we've we've talked
1: we've talked about the time machine too, and and yeah. the, the idea that that the time machine shows us, you know, in the far everybody feels like in the far future, eventually we reach a point, kind of like a point of diminishing returns, and we start devolving. Seems to be a classic. Yeah. Um,
0: uh, even even go to uh, you know far more recent uh, you know idiocracy. It shows mm-hmm. that basically, give us time, we'll 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 be really dumb. Give us time, we'll be stupid. Yeah, yep. and uh, and make all kinds of mistakes and not learn from them.
1: Sure, uh, go back uh, go back look at um, here. Here's a fun movie for you from from the I think it was. The late 80s, maybe the early nineties, free Jack. Free Jack? Free Jack with free Mick Jagger, Jagger, right? with Mick Jagger and, yeah. and Anthony Hopkins and Emilio Estevez. Yeah. I don't know Free Jack. Uh, oh yeah, that's uh Free Jack was it, it was really kind of the first example of a 92, that's when it was from. As a kind of Ooh. an early example of a cyberpunk movie. Yeah. Uh, it's got renamed. Renee Russo, Amanda Plummer, it's it's got a really decent cast. It's a crappy yeah. movie. Oh, but so the bl- the Blu-ray is very out of print. If I had 300 dollars I could buy it on Blu-ray. <laughs> oh,
0: there you go. They there don't you go. don't not worth it. Not trust, worth it.
1: Trust me, you yeah. do not need it. Um I saw it once and that was enough for me. Oh yeah. But um but yeah, I mean if you think think about it too. Um like Mad Max and The Road Warrior, those those movies are Coming out roughly what what is it? Like maybe 10 years after this? Uh, Mad
2: Max, yeah, about 10 years. Because Mad Max yeah. was 77, 79, I think. Yeah. Let's that makes see. sense. Yeah. 79.
1: Mad, Mad Max was 79. Yeah. And Mad Max 2, <laughs> the Robe Warrior, that was 81. So yeah, you're looking at so you the way, if you if you look at it this way, you're looking at a lot of that, lot of post apocalyptic kind, of, you know, building up, kind of getting knocked back a little bit because they hadn't quite get developed that, you know, what exactly is a post apocalyptic society going to look like.
0: And so you, and I mean, we keep, yeah. we, you know, this is a theme that that uh, we keep uh, revisiting, right? I mean, right. Uh, y- you know, even now, like there's a there's a new um, Fury Road movie, uh, like, a a Fury Road prequel, um, mm-hmm. um, focusing on a younger version of, uh, Charlize Theron's, uh, character from the last movie. Um, you know, we're, we've, we've seen, uh, this, you know, everything from Cormac McCarthy's The Road and the movie that was made of that to The Walking Dead and it's, uh, it's many permutations. Um, you, you know, the thing is, is, is that we... We often see the the terrible things we do to each other, to the planet, to well, to everything really, and um, and we think like, what what could this possibly lead to? You know, where right. where does this go? And uh, and so you see almost as many different flavors of of post apocalypse um, as as any other uh, uh, genre, you know, and it, it is. Uh, uh, you know, a, a sort of a common trope now. Uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, we're 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 seeing all sorts of it. Like, hey, we're terrible to animals, and the animals will rise up and kick our asses. Um, uh, you know, these are these are, are are common themes, and it's like always uh, sort of seeing the interesting ways of doing it, and seeing the interesting ways in which. Um, we try to triumph,
1: oh yeah, because I mean nineteen sixty eight you're you're also looking at the year that night of the living Dead came out, yes, and so you're looking at the very beginnings of yet another type of post apocalypse, the zombie apocalypse <laughs> um, I mean, you know, it but, really
0: it really was all uh it was it, it was all coming about, wasn't it we're we're just reliving nineteen sixty eight
1: right I mean this is um oh there's nothing wrong with reliving reliving my childhood, I guess, but, um,
0: <laughs> I, no, don't but that, I don't <laughs> my know. My last but, name was Kennedy. I'd be worried.
1: Yeah. 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 That, that could be a bad thing Ooh. or King. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be too happy with that either. But yeah, this is, um, the, when you look at it, I guess 68 kind of, it was quite a watershed year
0: Yeah, uh, as
1: far as movies go. I mean, you've got, you got this, which start, which is the beginning of blockbuster. I mean, up until now, toy lines and stuff were usually based on TV shows, yeah, or radio shows, because that's what you know. That was the thing: the Captain Midnight, um, the Captain Midnight stuff, the Lost in Space toys. They were uh, and the Buck Rogers stuff. You have the Saturday morning serials. It wasn't. You weren't seeing franchises that were coming from coming from a, a hit movie right especially you know something like this and at the same time you also weren't seeing a lot of movies that were looking at a post-apocalyptic type of future yeah. so you're look, you know and the, this is the the fun thing about this movie is the fact that it's it's set so far in the future because we know we know that Thanks to time dilation and their suspended animation, they've been gone for seven, for two thousand years. Yeah, <clears throat> which makes it even more impressive that that something like uh, that something like that toy doll could still have a working squawker to say "mama." <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Absolutely. That,
1: that that's something that I think we're um, at this point at this point, no matter which direction we go, whether we go, whether we go back to another, uh, another movie in the, in the past or whether we get, continue going forward and looking at, at some of the movies getting closer to home. Yeah. We're all, we're, we're going to find that a lot of, I, I think we're going to see that a lot of these things are going to kind of stick in our heads. And speaking of sticking in our heads, well Jim, there, well there's done. a, uh, there, there's a tradition we have here okay. where uh, we call it the SETI alpha eel just like those little the, those little worm things that wrapped around the cortex the, the cerebral cortexes and Chekhov and Captain Terrell and Star Trek 2 Yep, it's it's those things that you just can't get out of your head you know without potentially taking a phaser to yourself so So um, I'll start with you, Paul. What what is your SETI Alpha Eel?
0: Well, mine right now is, uh, and and I I swear I'm going to sit and uh, as late as it is, I'm going to uh, spend at least uh, another half hour, which will probably end up being an hour, uh, reading uh, Stephen King's uh, fairy tale. Um, I started reading it the day before yesterday, and I'm about halfway through, and I'm loving it. Um, It's... um, you know, I, I mean, I have been a fan of Stephen King since I was a kid, um, and you know, picked up a, uh, a movie tie-in copy of The Dead Zone uh, with Christopher Walken on it. And um, I'm walking here. I'm walking here. <laughs> and uh, and and you know, and I found um, sort of uh, that he could do no wrong, certainly while I was in my teens, and then I found, you know a little later it was like ah yeah, you know it, it, i mean he's incredibly prolific and, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 they're not all bangers uh but when they are oh when they are it is uh it is an absolute delight and this this book is one of them and um it is uh it is one of those things where you know, you read the, uh, I read the back and it, and, and it's like, oh, that looks interesting. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll check this out. And, um, and I'm uh, at a point where they haven't even got to want to a part of what they talk about. Um, and I don't care cause it's so great. Uh, it's just, uh, it, it's just, uh, it's, I, I think it's one of his best in a while and um and i I can't put it down i'm I'm holding it in my hand right now um and we'll be uh we'll be reading it as i say what uh once we're all done here and um so yeah can't recommend it highly enough fairy tale by stephen king
1: nice nice jim what about you what's what's hanging around in your cerebral cortex well i'm also
2: reading a book right now uh (gasps) now that new year started i've started a new book i uh Read quite a few I last see. year and I hope to beat my total last year. Um, so I'm reading uh Atlantris by uh Brandon Sanderson.
1: Oh so, *Atlantis*, yeah. Yeah *Atlantis*, Yes, yeah, sorry, yeah. Sorry. No, oh, that I'm I'm just going by the way they pronounced it in the graphic audio adaptation of it. Oh well,
2: there you go. That must be official then. So you're familiar with it then. Yes. Okay, so I'm I've been a, become a big fan of Sanderson yeah. uh, in the yeah. last few years. Uh, what you're familiar with him too Paul
0: you you brought him up to me um oh
2: did I oh yeah well, and, and that's
0: another guy that I know um was all like literally a week later after you and I had talked about it a bit um a, a guy I know uh locally here um uh uh brought it up and uh and and he was like because we had done a dark Tower read uh sort of a like like a mini book club. Uh, but it was just the two of us reading, uh, through all those. And so he was like, so he brought him up because he's like, he's, he, he, yeah, he's a big fan too. Well, so Sanderson's,
2: I was, I'm, I'm just surprised because Sanderson's such a new author. Like he kind of blew up in the last five or 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've already read two of the, um, Stormlight archives novels and the, the Mistborn trilogy, and I also spent last year reading all four of his secret Kickstarter novels, which was part of a Kickstarter campaign he did the year before. Uh, so now what I'm doing is I've I'm going to go back and I'm going to read his first book, which is Elant- uh, Elantris, um, which I haven't read yet, which I'm I'm now about 25 percent of the way through. You can tell it's his first novel, but it is very entertaining. Yeah. Um, you can see a lot of. um, um the, the things he'll do in future novels uh, repeating themselves. Uh, he definitely has a formula that he's very much cultivated in this book. Uh, right. I won't go too much into like um, story details of it. Uh, let's just say it's a, it's a, it's kind of a dark fantasy with a tinge of science fiction to it. That's kind of the cool thing about Sanderson novels and his, and mm-hmm. his what it is what is known as the Cosmere is that while they are fantasy novels, like most of the time, the way he goes about his magic systems is that there's a usually a logic to it that right it, that yeah. is almost scientific in the way it's you know presented and um explained and like re- learned by the characters um as well as various like um magical like uh artifacts that that stem from these magic systems that function as technology Right, so it it kind of rides that line of like science fantasy, and I'm kind of really into it because I I have a hard time with like Tolkien-esque fantasy, like straight up like dwarves and elves
1: and stuff. Yeah, right. This is not that. Yeah, that's what I really appreciate. Yeah, his his work is definitely kind of I think of it as um, that this is what happens when you play D and D for a long time, and then you and then you start creating, um, creating your own reality you know creating your own worlds yeah because it's um like D has to you know be like with D, you have to have specific rules that that govern what your spell casting and stuff is that that same way and that's um you know and of course like uh arthur c clark said any sufficiently advanced science is indistinguishable yes. from magic right
2: and yeah i um i'm just really digging it and i'm really enjoying nice. uh yeah. The uh going back and my, my plan this year is to read this book. And I'm also going to read the, the um there's a short story collection that I need to read before I read the third storm archive book. Um Arcana Unbound, I think it's called. Right. I'm read that and then I'm gonna read the two Stormlight books and get caught up because apparently at the end of this year the fifth Stormlight book's coming out. So I want to be all caught up in the Cosmere before that book drops.
0: That's awesome.
1: That's really cool. All right. Well the What's cr- what's been crawling around my cerebral cortex lately? Well, a couple of things. One of them one of them has been that I've been powering through a bunch of audiobooks. We got the graphic audio or graphic audio audible introduced a new uh, a new kind of program where you could pay up front for a year and and you get twenty four credits and you can oh. then and you get a lot of things added onto your added in, you know, available in your library. And so I've been uh, catching up a bunch on some Simon R. Green stuff. Simon R. Green, um, he writes a lot of different types of of fiction. Um, he writes, let's see, the Death Stalker series. Um, the it's called the Secret Histories, also known as the Druids, um, the Nightside, Side, the Ghost Finders books. And the ones I just finished are the the Ghostfinders and the Ishmael Jones mysteries, right. and then I also found this uh, nice, th- this fun one by I can't remember the author's name, but it, um, but they're called Warlock Holmes, where it's a where that those are literally taking Sherlock Holmes as a warlock, and it okay. and Watson's the one the one solving it. They're they're really fun. Uh, I recommend doing them as graphic, you know, as like audio production, you know, listening to the audiobooks of them. Because there's something that they're kind of fun that you don't really need to listen to uh with more than half an ear while you're um while say you're playing Sim City or some other some other game that might be incredibly addictive. Um, <laughs> uh, the other thing that stuck in my head has been Quantum Leap. Yeah. The new the new series. If you haven't watched it yet,
0: I really recommend it. I love it. it. Yeah, I'm loving it.
1: Yeah, they I love the the arc that they're taking this season with developing what could be a secondary leaper kind of kind of thing. With uh well, not even a you know, somebody who's by having a character who's not leaping at the moment, but who keeps finding they keep finding each other. Right. Yeah, that, that's a that is really cool. Um, and I think I, think it does something that the original show, as much as I love the original version, this, you know, the Scott Bakula version, I think it was missing that element of grounding us in the present of grounding us in, well, what's going on right now. Yeah. Going on back at headquarters. And this is, so the, this is much more, it, it's much more an ensemble production than the original. And, and I a lot more balance really, that way. Yeah, yeah. I really yeah. enjoy it.
2: Nice. I really should watch it. I'm a big fan of the original.
1: Yeah, it is. It's very. It's very nice, and it respect the original. I very it, much. It re, yes, it very much respects the original. So, if you ever if you ever get in get in the mood, I, I would say definitely go check it out.
0: Yeah. Definitely worth a watch. All right. Well, there we go. And now, listen to the guy who says the stuff. Thanks for joining
1: us as we watch this space. This episode was brought to you by Zayas & Sons, makers of custom gorilla suits and other fine apparel. Zayas & Sons will make a monkey out of you. You can write to us at watchthisfacemail at gmail.com, Follow us on Instagram at watch this underscore space underscore SF or leave a message to be discovered in the next archaeological dig led by Cornelius and Zira.